Welcome to Fit to Be Radio. Slip on your minimal sneakers, notch your headphones into your ears, tuck your smartphone into your pocket, and take us along for a walk while we talk. Or just grab a cup of your favorite drink and get on the floor and stretch a bit while we bring you all things fitness, core, and diastases recti related. You guys ready? Yes. All right. Born ready. Born ready. I love that. I, I love your first one though. When you're like, I wish I could just say all those things. I know. <laughs> that is so bad. <laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Fit to Be Radio. My name is Chris Banky. I'll be your host today. I'm here with Beth Learn. She's the CEO and founder of Fit to Be Studio. And we also have with us Jenny Burrell. She is the founder of Burrell Education. And um, I also got here, what, what is this? Uh, creator of Holistic Core Restore which I'm excited to learn about. Um, Jenny, thank you for taking the time to connect with us today. Um, All the way from where? Where are you coming to us from? I am coming to you live and direct from Chichester in the UK. So uh, it's one and a half hours out of London. I'm right on the south coast by the sea. Oh, that sounds fantastic. And we were talking a little bit in the pre-show. It is hot there today, isn't it? It's bonkers hot. We don't even know what to do with it. <laughs> we don't know what to do with ourselves. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's the hottest it's ever, ever, ever been. Before, wow. the only reference point to the heat, this level of heat was the summer of 76. Okay. Wow. So now, yeah, we have not felt this heat since 76. Yeah. Wow. So, you're, so, it, so it's massively hot. So it's, it's been pretty hot this week over in the Pacific Northwest as well. Beth, is it, mm-hmm. has it been hot over there? It's supposed to get to about 90 to 95 Fahrenheit today. Wow. Um, and I'm not sure what the equivalent of that in Celsius is. Yeah, we don't do, we don't do, uh, we just do Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> it's hot. Whatever Either it is. way, it's hot. Either way, it's hot. So how long have you been in that part of the UK? Um, I am, um, well, I moved here. May, look, May just gone was two years, and I'm previously I lived okay. in London, and okay. I was originally from Birmingham, Birmingham, as you would say, <laughs> in the middle of England. I was born in Birmingham. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so how, how do you like it there? Oh, uh, it's, it's like night and day, you know, compared to London. I think London is when, for, when you're young, I went there when I was 19, it's, 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 it's for that time in your life when you have mm-hmm. surplus energy and you want to do everything. Now, by the time I'd hit like 40, 45, I'd done everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, we're not using, we're not using this. Right. Right. Let's go. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Uh, now, Beth, how did you and Jenny connect? Oh, this is a good story. Okay. So actually first, the first time I connected with her was when we first launched fit to be, and we still had few enough members for me to keep track of all of them. And whenever somebody joined, I would look them up. And so Jenny actually joined fit to be just for a brief amount of time. And I looked her up and I'm like, Oh my goodness, this is an amazing person. Wow. And I started following her at that time. And then I um, connected with her like in person, in person at the Women and Women's Health Live in New York. So many of our guests have come out of that event. And I, the past year, have been working through a couple of her courses slowly but surely. Her courses are so 
Niti, I find myself like listening and re-listening when I walk, okay. um, especially her third age women's course um, has been so pivotal for me. You know, I'm 39 and I'm realizing you know, I'm very much in the perimenopausal phase of my life. Um, you know, we women, we go through 1400 different phases. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a you know men is fairly it's fairly consistent i mean there's some dips and ripples but for us it's like you know we we have the puberty and we the pregnancy and we birth and in the newborn and the postnatal and the prenatal and the, the perimenopausal and the menopausal and the postmenopausal and oh my gosh you don't want to be bored wow come on <laughs> no no but men go from like i just think they go from hunky to grumpy <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So Beth, you're taking some of the, the digital courses that are provided, um, that Jenny has, those are part of yeah. rural education, right? Yes. So tell us about yes. rural education. Okay. Well, um, I, started Burrell Education on the 27th of February 2007. Pre-digital, pre-digital business. Yeah, yeah. So in uh, in the beginning, I had one course, one single course, a postnatal exercise course, and I had the idea. I had the idea that quite possibly all the great things we were applying to people in general in fitness in terms of functional training so when we came to speak about how we worked with pregnant women in the postnatal that all that magic stuff all that good stuff was gone and we were reverting to sit them on a swiss board or support them on a bench and i mean compared to what we're seeing now in the world of anti and postnatal exercise and education it is like night it's unrecognizable that a pregnant woman over 140 BPM. Yeah. Okay. So mm-hmm. that, that now is just like, what? Where, where you see like pregnant women doing kipping and CrossFit and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I had the idea that we could do better. And basically mm-hmm. that very first course was me saying, I wonder if we can train the pregnant, sorry, the postnatal woman and apply the same principles that we were applying to the normal population and adapt them, basically. Right. And, and that was it. I started with that one course, and it was, I don't even, I, I, I actually I keep trying to think, how did I get people to come without the internet? Yeah. How did I do this? Because I don't even know how this works. How did this work? Um, but obviously I, I did, you know, I existed, I did well. And then eventually I was, uh, and then the digital stuff started to happen. And, and basically I kind of, I, I, I'm, a, I'm not a digital native. I was born in 69. So at one point when the internet really started to kick off, I was like, you know what, if I don't get a grip of this thing, Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, the train's going to go. Yeah. And so I just made that concerted episode, all these things. I mean, it's great, it's bonkers. But I just said, let's do this. And then eventually the whole thing of making an online educational business. I, I mean, I do remember asking my in-person students in a Facebook group, would you buy a mental exercise? Oh, I don't think, oh, I don't think I'd do that. I don't, you know, it was, it was like a, a great degree of consternation. How, right. oh, I wouldn't, 
but now <laughs> right. look at look at where we are. My gosh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think if you got a room full of people together and said, "Hey, fifteen years ago, would you think you would be carrying around uh, a cell phone with you everywhere you went?" Or maybe eighteen years ago, most people would say, "No, I wouldn't want to be tethered to." Then people could get a hold of me anytime they wanted. But now, now look at the world, right? So people, uh-huh. people, uh, they get nervous about new things, but you know, digital is, has been amazing because now you can reach so many more people. Um, and Jenny, uh, Jenny has a thought on that. I know Jenny has yeah, a thought on that. Say it. That's very timely, Chris. That's very timely because I've got to be, I'm, I'm pushing back against this. I'm pushing back against unnecessary use of this technology. Mm-hmm. We are losing mm-hmm. our humanity. I don't care what everybody else is doing, but I'm not carrying around that thing and using it in an unnecessary way. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just not. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not out of the world. I'm not out of connection. I just say I need to connect with me via. I've got Facebook on all day, so Facebook or the um, or the email. Now to now go and finish my day's work and have to listen to voicemail, to respond to text, to have right. another avenue of communication. Right. It's oppressive, oppressive and unnecessary for me. Yeah. I don't want it. I don't. And I think, yeah. as I said in a post that I just put we this this is the machine and we are the man the man must rule the machine for many of us and we're not even aware of it the machine is ruling the man oh I think I that's definitely true I agree and and you cover this in your courses and you talk about it in your groups and it's helped me a lot um it's it's a balancing act it's a juggling act as a mom and a business owner and sometimes I find myself you know oh, you see, oh look I've got a coupon stuck to the back of my phone so I don't forget <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it's like, I, I uninstalled a couple apps when I, you know, you really convicted me on that. It's like, I don't need to be so available. I need to make sure I'm available to my family. I need to make sure I am available to my business partner. I need to make sure I'm available to my close friends, but really do I need to be 24 seven for everybody and everything else? No. And people can wait for a response. Yes. What about that for a thing? They can wait for a response. Yeah. <laughs> Look, that's that's just my beef. You know, it's not like I don't appreciate uh, the the, um, the the technology. Right. I just think that many people don't even know they're addicted to this. They yeah. don't even know they right. have an unreasonable and unnecessary amount of usage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just take their phone away from them for a few days and just see. Then they might become aware. You know, it's like yeah. Gollum yeah. with the ring. Ah. And, and yet, and yet, for the <clears throat> amount of time people spend carrying around this, this, my coupon, <laughs> carrying around their encyclopedia and all of their contacts and everything, they're remarkably uninformed about what we're going to be talking about today. That's such a good segue. So, <laughs> um, what? So, what, what are we going to be talking about today, you two? Hysterectomies. All right. Hysterectomy. Yes. So with the, um, the thing in your pocket that has limitless information uh, about things like a hysterectomy, do you guys find, both of you, Jenny, I'm really curious to hear what you think about this, that women are, are generally not as informed as they should be about this um, situation? Common procedure. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. 
absolutely, absolutely. It is, I don't know what happens here. I think we get a bit of the white coat effect. We get a bit of the, and I'll explain what these are, the down there effect. Mm. Uh, so the white coat effect is the doctor said the doctor said, and so obviously getting people right, the doctor said. And so people go into appointments, which sometimes are not, not sometimes, nearly all times, are not long enough. So they go into the appointment that, that isn't long enough. They go into the, uh, the appointment without a whole, whole stack of questions because we need to be asking questions. And they go into the appointment um, so uh, hysterectomy has, has a lot of emotional um, uh, uh, weight attached to it. Mm -hmm. Why are you having it? Well, for every woman, there's a different reason. Mm -hmm. for, for me, you know, having hysterectomy was not, it, it was, I hadn't had any kids. And so that was an issue. But also the situation that led me to it was just so desperate. You know, it was literally a relief to have mm -hmm. the, the cause of it removed. So I kind of weighed it up. I'd been in such a pickle for such a long time. I just was like, you know what? Maybe I'm just not meant to have a baby. And so I'm going to go with this and mm -hmm. my life will be better. So, but for many women, they don't make that, that they don't make that, that situation, sorry, that, um, that judgment call. They don't <laughs> make that decision lightly. It is a heartbreaking one. Mm -hmm. Whether they're children or not, many women see it as a, an absolute um, change in their status as a woman. They've lost the thing that has made them essentially a woman. It's for many women, it's a bolder, bolder. So I just think the so when they're going into those appointments, not everybody will be kind of like right. Okay, I've got my piece of paper here and. What about this? What about this? They just won't be because there'll be so much emotion tied up with it. And of course, it's a major surgery as well. So now for many women, you're going in for a major surgery and, you know, all of the risks that that involves. So, right, and all the recovery that involves. Right. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's heavy. It's, it's awkward. It is just not mm -hmm. straightforward. Out of a right. and There's many things. You know, there's the having babies. There's having other surgical procedures. For me, his to me is not only what can be pretty punishing, and then we have the immediate recovery. Um, I think the internet's. I'll just wait for it to unblock. Yeah. Okay. So then we have the yeah we have the immediate recovery, and then we have this. I'm now eight years post surgery, and you saw me posting about my yeah. hormones. Whoa. Hello. Yeah. So, uh, so eight years. And then, so it's the, for me, it's the, um, what's the word? The afterburn. It's the afterburn of the, so it's why you had it, the actual procedure, the immediate recovery. And then if you've gone into, if you had a hysterectomy way before your menopause, then guess what? Your ovarian failure, your, your ovaries, if you kept your ovaries, them saying, okay. I'm, I'm done here now. <laughs> I don't have a uterus. I don't have a womb. Well, that might take some time. And here I am eight years later, suddenly having 10 minute interval hot flashes, you know, achy breaths. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
feeling like I might have a period, which is literally that does that 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 freaks me out, and 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 bad tempered like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> I know. I read your post. You're like, what? I have all these things going on, and I just and I the way I read it was, I want to kill everybody. <laughs> I don't think that's what you said, but I was like, oh. oh that <laughs> yeah, but literally and I was just with my husband oh, we just went on the, and we had a long talk and he said and I said oh my gosh how do you think how different do you think I am and he said it's like night and day so I had hormone therapy because literally I was I was on the ceiling and he said it is like night and day. And so I think, again, we're not talking European that may be an issue for the women. So I just think hysterectomy is just seen as, okay, we'll take away your, your problematic uterus, right. possibly your ovaries as well. Okay. And all your problems will be over. That's it. That's what they're, that's what they're promising us. That was, that'll solve it. And that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily true. Yeah. So what I've noticed in talking with women who are, um, who have had hysterectomies, who are thinking about it is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like there's two There's ones who get a hysterectomy or a partial hysterectomy because they're approaching menopause and, and they have some type of issue approaching menopause. Maybe they're having a leaky bladder, um, which incidentally, that's not a good reason to get one, right? No. Um, there's other ways to fix that. Um, that was my, my mom got a hysterectomy when I was 10. She got one because she had a leaky bladder and, and that was to fix it. And, um, wow. and then you have, then you have women that are getting them earlier in life because of health issues, because of endometriosis, because of cancer, because of all those things. And, and all of those um, are rising. All of those are rising. The stats for those conditions are rising. Mm-hmm. Now, as you said, we are getting now premenopausal women being offered hysterectomies as their solution. Yeah, but it and and it and it can be a solution sometimes, but there's better solutions and right there's better solutions and we need to mind the recovery and you have such a great course for women that are approaching a possible hysterectomy, getting them to think through and then also getting them to think through what's your recovery going to look like, fitness wise, nutrition wise. Mm-hmm. And who's going to help you? Who's going to help you in that recovery as well? Those early days of recovery, who's going to help you? I told you the story in the course, didn't I, about, you know, my husband leaving for work and I had not gotten dressed well and had no underwear on. And there I stayed all day because I couldn't you can't move. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that's a horrible, that's a, that's a really debilitating moment. Um, you know, women that have had C-sections have had similar moments. Their, their husbands go back to work. Their partners go back to work. Their, their mom goes home. Their mom's been there to help maybe for a couple of days. And all of a sudden they've got, uh, uh, they can't move. They're not feeling good. How are they going to go make themselves a meal? How, yeah. how are they going to transfer to the toilet? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so I, I think I hear you guys saying that you're, that you're seeing a lot of over, um, um, prescription of a hysterectomy. It's just like, oh, this is here. Let's do this. Let's do this. 
Um, yes. Is that just the yes. medical field being misinformed or this is taking the easy way out, which is, is kind of a common theme, I think, actually? Yes, yes, I think, I think so, Chris. I think that we, where if you are, and look, you're nearly, you're nearly at menopause, let's get that out. Or mm. you don't need that anymore. Or you've had your children, you've got three kids, you don't need that anymore. Okay. And it's just like, whoa, that's not your call. And actually, if you remove, if you remove the ovaries and if you remove, you know, the ovaries have a role past um, your fecund years, your years of childbearing. Right. Ovaries have a role in, in hormone production beyond these years. Your ovaries still have a role even when you're in menopause. And this is just like, and you know what? We are removing a body part, a major organ. Of course there are consequences. Right. Consequences. Well, and, and the masculine version of this would be saying, okay, hey, you're done making babies, dude. So we're just going to remove your gonads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> what? Let's, let's just have those off you. You don't need them anymore. Now, could you ever imagine the situation when somebody would say that to a man? They're giving you, they're giving you some trouble. Okay, we'll just take them away. Yeah, you don't need them anymore. You've, you've had three kids. <laughs> exactly, we're laughing, but it's not funny. It's not funny. This is, this is literally the e exact equivalent. Yeah, and, and there's so much that's done for hormone regulation for men in their gonads, in their testes, and then you have women in their ovaries and in their uterus. There's so much going on. Those are reproductive organs. Yes, they make babies, but they also do a lot. And what's crazy is I didn't, I took hormone courses at, in, when I was getting my degree, my undergrad degree at Oregon State University with hormone regulation. And, and it was all like, okay, these hormones, you know, are responsible for, you know, these things, but there was not a lot of crossover in terms of long-term endocrine so long-term hormone regulation and how that plays into our daily quality of life and how that plays into our daily energy levels and we're learning a lot more now for yes. sure oh, you know what I absolutely and you know when i said it about me not sleeping i i literally could tell i knew where where my hormones were off i knew it i knew my thyroid was low i knew that my testosterone was low and i knew that my progesterone was low and i knew that my progesterone was low because i was not sleeping mm. and that's mm. and the last time that happened that was what was happening and i knew that my testosterone was low because i go to the gym four times a week and i am struggling to hold my muscle mass mm. okay and i'm doing yeah so i knew that must be low and in terms of the thyroid i knew my thyroid was out because every morning i have to paint my eyebrows on <laughs> so, so I know, and apart from the sweating and the bad temperedness, of course, they, they, I'm off. I'm off. Yeah. And, you know, we women, we have so many hormonal things going on. Um, and so if one of those, if one of those goes wonky, you're in trouble. If, if all of them are wonky, you're really in trouble. Um, and we all get a taste of it. You know, if, if, you're, if you're still getting your period um, and you get, a little, you get a little taste of what crazy hormones are like in the couple days before your, your menstrual cycle starts because everything's switching gears like, <laughs> um, and then, and then you get your cycle and, and things kind of level out a little bit and, 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 and it's better for a couple weeks. Um, 
But you know what I want to do, Jenny? What I would love to do with you right now, because I know there's people going, but wait, but what do I do? What's the answer? I want to do um, a rapid fire Q&A with you where I say, there's this procedure. What's the better procedure? There's this, but what's that? Because I know you know the answers. And I know we're not prescribing here, but I want to at least give our listeners like a lead um, for example, if somebody challenge your thinking, right? Challenge yes, thinking. Exactly. If somebody is considering hysterectomy for endometriosis, what would be better? Oh wow. Well, that's a very individual thing, but ultimately hysterectomy that's not the solution for endometriosis. Right. It's mm-hmm. not resolved that it is not. Right. Exactly. Okay, so you know that endometriosis, endometriosis can then spread into the the whole cavity, the abdominal mm-hmm. cavity. You can go elsewhere. Right. You can go other places other than your your uterus. Right. Um, right. Just removing the uterus is not the answer for right. many, many, many people. So if that is presented as your only solution, I would get a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth opinion. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's, look that's, into endometriosis surgery 101. Yeah. Get a second opinion, get a fifth opinion. And I would say look into, make sure you ask about excision surgery, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Yeah. I'm that not is one of the options. Yeah. I'm not an endometriosis <laughs> specialist. No, I'm I, not either. In so many forums, they say, well, we'll give you a hysterectomy. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. So the, mm-hmm. the source of the endometriosis isn't necessarily just your uterus. Right. Mm-hmm. I, they actually said that I, I probably had it. I had severe cramping before I had children and they did an ultrasound. They're like, you're showing signs of endometriosis. Um, you know, we can do a DNC, but we'd rather not. Well, it turned out I had a miscarriage shortly after that. And that, that I needed a DNC for because my body wasn't letting go and I got a fever and I was building an infection. And so they did a DNC and sure enough, a lot of my symptoms went away. But looking back now for what they said and what I now know about endometriosis and how it's more about scar tissue and adhesions growing outside the uterus, it really has me questioning what that was even about and why they were being so hasty to say, hey, <laughs> and one doctor even said, well, you just need to get pregnant. You just need to get pregnant and that'll go away. That's a weird prescription. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, if a woman is being told that she needs a hysterectomy for bladder issues, what would you say? Okay. So, when you said that about your mother, I did literally just do a little it was sideways move in my head. Uh-huh. So, okay. I saw it. I saw your it in your eyebrows. Your mother. <laughs> that you have to paint on. <laughs> your mother possibly could have had a uterine prolapse mm-hmm. and that uterine prolapse so her that's her womb her, her uterus has is now bulging into mm-hmm. her bladder so mm-hmm. she's got a uterine prolapse and then that bulging into the bladder is affecting bladder function right so these days they would this must be a little while the um they would resuspend they would lift the bladder uh, sorry the uterus up away from the bladder right. so that's the more modern approach to that y- removing the uterus because say it's bulging into the bladder that's not mm-hmm. you know there are many alternatives and literally doing a suspension of the bladder 
uterus so that that it isn't bulging into the uterus. It, sorry, it's suspension of the uterus, so it doesn't bulge into the bladder. Shazam! Well, yeah, so. is a common. Now, do they usually use mesh for that? And what are your thoughts on mesh? Well, I think we have now suspended the use of that in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm absolutely pretty sure. Sadly, um, we have not in the US. Okay. Sadly. Um, so the suspensions, yeah. Now, for me, the whole mesh thing, because I was, because we see the dreadful stories of the women who, who, for whom this has gone wrong. Now, there are a, there's a quieter voice of women for whom that operation has worked. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And we must we mustn't forget that. But I'm I'm always for the, the the ones without a great voice, without the big voice, and so I think we need to shout and rally for them. But mm-hmm. also we must remember not to demonise the procedure because many many women have it and they feel great and mm-hmm. it's changed their life and their life and they're now waiting for the bomb to drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thinking, that's that's a good point because I'm. I talked to my mom and I was like, mom, do you know if they put mesh in? And she was like, I, I don't know. I mean, th- I just went in for a hysterectomy. I don't know what, I don't know what they did. Cause you didn't definitely didn't ask questions back then. Yes. Right. Yes, I mean, my mom had 30 years ago. Mom had, yeah. So your mom and your sister. Yeah. And it's like, you asked them and, and now women, it's like, they do know if they know to ask and they do know more. Mm. Um, one of the questions that you recommend women asking, um, that I thought was so good in your course was, um, well, where are they going to, it's like, where are they going to put the cervix? Mm. Like where did, cause if you're I mean, removing, you get, like, where do they, you know, you have the vagina and it goes in, yeah. but now you don't have a uterus. Yes. So what's going to hold that in place <laughs> and where does it go? Yeah. So you, you, you need to ask for your vagina to, you know, you need to ask for a suspension uh, where literally they will attach your, the, the top of, well, if you still have your cervix, they'll atop that, attach the top of the, um, the, the vagina to the inside surface of the sacrum. So you've got your hip bones and in the middle of the hip bones is your sacrum. And then obviously there's fleshy, material there and it's they're suspended to the inside your vagina is suspended to the inside of your sacrum and you can have a double suspension or a single suspension in which case your vagina might just go off at an angle <laughs> yeah and that always it, it gives me a chuckle it's like eh, a little to the left <laughs> a little to the right uh, but it, it but that's an eye-opener and that is something i've mentioned in my forum when this topic comes up as this is something to ask and suddenly women are going whoa hold on wait a second i didn't even think about that mm-hmm. and this is where the partial hysterectomy versus full hysterectomy can come in is that right like i mean yeah. what's the so you had um, um, like my actually my my best friend had um, cancer cells at her cervix. Then the option of re- retaining your cervix is well, that's not an option for you mm-hmm. because you're you're doing life saving surgery here, so right. you'll lose the cervix. But optimally, optimally, one wants to keep the cervix and get that <laughs> vagina suspended. Okay, mm-hmm. we really need to be on the ball. Because for many women, 
many, many women, and especially like my mother's age, when she had her hysterectomy, then there, is, there was no suspension then. And then here we now go into the world of pelvic organ prolapse and vaginal involution. And oh my vaginal. goodness. Well, yeah. And that is, that's scary. Yeah. Like how, and well, how? over time, over time, then that fascial system that holds uh, those organs in place, you know, as you then post, you know, when you're in all of that buildup, you know, as I always say, if it's happening here, it's happening down there. Okay. And so as you, the quality and the strength in your connective tissue starts to decrease, then that is also happening for many women in the fascial system that supports those organs. Right. The so you're just like, you're looking at the fascial system as a whole, which we are learning it. It truly is. So people that have issues with their fascia up in their face and their neck and their head and everything translates down yonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you call that the down there effect. Is that what you were mentioning earlier? No, no the down there effect is very <laughs> much about that when it comes to talking about, <laughs> okay, then women are not as, if you asked a woman, um, right, it's something, somebody was mean to their kid at school. All right, they're going to gather some facts. They are, right? And who's that kid live and who's his <laughs> mother? They're going to, and they're going to, they're going to do some, they're doing business, aren't they? I'm going to get to the bottom of this. Right. All right. That's what you're going to say for your kid. Okay, now it's your own body. Something that is potentially threatening your own a positive life, yeah? Yeah. And yet you, where's your piece of paper? Where's your fact gathering? Where's your deep questioning? Uh, we suddenly, we've, it's, it's kind of, you know, because, because we know that anything to do with the re- female reproductive system and our genitalia is also has a nice layer of shame and... <coughs> <laughs> a nice layer of shame smothered over it. Mm-hmm. So we are not so forward at coming as we're not so forward. Uh, sorry, we're not so good at coming forward um, with questions and direct questions and questioning those who are going to make decisions about that part of our body. You know, we're just not very good at it. And as Michelle Lyons says, people know more about their phones than they do about their pelvic region. They yeah. Know more about they know lots of things about their phone, but sometimes it is surprising to women. I don't have my pelvis here, you know, where you just, it's over there, where you just literally hold up a pelvis and you go, okay, and you tip it up and yeah. you go, this is your pelvic floor. They're like, what? I know. And I'm always saying to the students that I teach, uh, just because somebody owns the car doesn't mean to say they looked under the bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> So, so for many women, you know, I would like to see women take, uh, there needs to be a course, Women's Health 101. You know, when I did like biology and we have a thing called A-level, that's an advanced level or in my degree, it was still, it was still sterile. It was the 1D picture of the pelvis, very kind of, this is here, this is here. Mm -hmm. Well, we need to have the... It's almost like we need to distill the contents of all of those women who are maybe like 60, smart women who are about 60, and literally we need to have a compendium of oh, down there great. wisdom. Down, down there, there wisdom. wisdom. Yes. Yes. There we go. Wisdom from down under. <laughs> Wait, say that again. Wait, say that again. 
every every random thing that has ever happened to you in your pelvic region or maybe even you know in on a sexual level you know we need literally a book of that oh and we need the the the, the um and we need the uh, you know where to find oh bladder um uh, bladder issues boom and then we need 20 stories about bladder issues oh right this would be amazing this is the old campfire effect isn't it mm-hmm. this is the women in the knitting circle yeah I'm in. I'm in, Jenny. I'm in. I think we need to like gather compilation, get people to send in stories. This is great. Like, send us in stories about your bladder. Send us in stories about your uterus. Send us in stories about your vagina. Uh, you know, at Oregon State University, they had something called the vagina monologues, and I'm not sure if you've heard of them. They were quite cheeky. They were quite cheeky. They handed out speculums at the door. Uh, and you know, I was I was what like 18 at the time, and I I come to the and I'm like, oh my goodness, what on earth? Uh, I was a little bit. <laughs> I was a little bit overcome, but, um, it was really good for sparking conversations. Um, you know, and cause not everybody agreed with everything they were saying. Nobody in the audience could possibly agree quote unquote, cause it wasn't about agreeing. It was about stories. It was about mm-hmm. people's experiences and, and, and things that had happened to that body part to them throughout their lives. It was very, very, um, heart-wrenching and fascinating and, and crazy and awesome all at the same time. And, and I only went once. <laughs> it gave me enough to think about for four years and they got a, even more crazy as they went. But it, it's like that same concept, right? You know, and what you said about um, uh, if it was our yeah. kid, yeah. and I tell, this, I tell this to my clients, if your kid was having this problem, if your kid was peeing their pants, if your kid, you would be hauling them in so fast. You would not be questioning the, in, the, the insurance deductible. You would not be questioning, you know, if, if their body parts were falling out of them. Yeah. Okay. If they were doubled over in pain and unable to function, you would be at the urgent care ER right now. You would but move heaven and earth for questions. And you're not taking any nonsense when you go to the doctor. Right. You're and, not any nonsense. Nobody's messing with you when you go in there, are they? You are not. Right. And, right. and you're not going to settle for the first answer either as a mama. You're going to be Googling that and you're going to be double looking for the second doctor and asking for somebody else. Um, yeah, I, I had an incident with my son where I thought for sure he had appendicitis this last year. I mean, we were going on a couple, more than a couple days of him having tummy cramps and there was no fever. And then suddenly there was a fever and I'm going, okay, we're going in. All right, we're done. This is my nine-year-old boy climbing in my bed with me crying at night. We're going into the doctor. And so, um, I go in there and we wait and we wait and we wait. And then this doctor comes in and he's handsome and he looks like Jesus. I mean, this was a good looking man that walks in there. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and he's like, all right, how, you know, how, what's going on? And I got to admit, I was a little stumbly at first because this guy was like, I think your son is fine. And I was like, okay, no, no, he is not fine. Like just, just a second here. <laughs> he's like, and he's like, well, can he jump up and down? Can you jump up and down? So my son gets up and he jumps up and down. He's like, he doesn't have appendicitis. That's it? What? I asked to talk to a second doctor. Yeah. And now it turns out that actually is a really great test. Listening. I mean, if your kid can jump up and down, they probably don't have appendicitis. I'm not a doctor, but uh, that is what this doctor did in the ER. And I got a second opinion. Let me, you know, I don't care how handsome he is and how much he made me stutter when he first walked in. Yeah. I was like, no, just a second. I need to talk to somebody else just to make sure. Cause we have been here and I want to make sure this is my baby. Yeah. So, but why don't we do that? Like, why are we not better advocates for ourselves 
um, especially when it comes to our bits that really affect our quality of life. I just keep going back to that. And, and you do such a good job in your courses of encouraging women about that. Yeah. So I think that as well, um, now I have this conversation with a friend of mine and this might come out a bit harsh, but I think a lot of women do not spend enough time doing serious things. Serious, you know, a bit too much time watching the X Factor. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know, stars on ice or whatever. (laughs) Love Factor, I love Island. What is this stuff? Anyway, but I just think if we spent a bit more time, less Kardashian time, less Love Island time, more <laughs> learning your anatomy of your pelvis. Yeah, get a mirror. Get you a just mirror. Might, you might be a little bit be- better off, okay? And everybody, and there's going to be people who say, who does she think she is? There's nothing wrong with watching Love Island. But if you're watching I- Love Island and not spending that same time um, thinking about and studying about um, your your impending hysterectomy. Oh, my little son has just come in. Oh, uh, we've had, we had kid visitors. Uh, right. It's all right. I'm on an, I'm on an interview. <laughs> oh. Me a stick. oh, a stick. Those yeah. are the best. Because boys bring sticks for their moms, don't yes, they? Yes, sticks and rocks. Oh, it's so yeah. Cute. So I just think that what happens is we just we don't spend, we don't get serious in that. It's almost like if you're a woman and you're a bit serious and you want to know about and you ask too many questions, it's almost a negative. So I think many women have almost been conditioned not to ask questions. No. I'm not happy with that answer. I want to ha- have a second, a third opinion. It's not attractive. It's not attractive to be bossy and be too brainy and too questioning. It's not attractive. And I think many of us have literally imbibed that. So now we don't, we don't get bossy. We don't, we don't ask questions. We don't keep pushing. Yeah, I'm done with that. I'm ready, I'm ready to be bossy again. <laughs> <laughs> Needs for many women for them to be seen for oh it's just gone a little bit unstable for well, many again. women for many women if you said oh gosh she asks a lot of questions that's a negative yeah now say that for about a boy he asks a lot of questions it's not such a negative Mm-mm. he's a smart boy. he's a smart boy he's inquisitive mm-hmm. he's bright mm-hmm. and we women do it to ourselves too. <laughs> He's a pain in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I got called that. I still get called that. Um, Because, you know, how dare I act like I'm better and how dare I act like a leader and I'm supposed to submit and I'm supposed to let men be in charge. And and it's like, well, hold on. Yeah. You know what? There's a time and place to let my husband take charge. That's great. But when it comes to my body and my health and the health of my children and, you know, in my business um, and, you know, going to the store. Mm, those are decisions I can make by myself. I'm allowed to ask questions at my doctor's appointment. I should ask questions. I'd be a fool not to. Chris, I can hear something. This is a kind of, this is a bottle of red wine round a fire conversation, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. 
Well, and we have this, we have this fit to be girls course that we've put together. And I was thinking about it when you were talking about how, you know, we, we need to reframe what we're teaching our girls and we're giving them all the sex ed, you know, here in America, they all get the sex ed. I'm not sure what they have in the UK. And it, it really is all about sex. It's all about protecting and, and making sure you don't get the STDs and, and where do all the parts go and how do they, all the parts fit or don't fit and, and who gets to do what with who. And I'm going, okay, uh, you know, uh, uh, all right. Uh, if your kid's ready to hear that and you think, you know, cause we can also opt out of that here in the States. If we don't think our kid is ready, nope, they can wait till next year to hear that. We can talk about that at home, but what about the actual anatomy? Why are we not also including? Cause we don't, we do in this girl's course, like mm-hmm. this is, this is your urethra mm-hmm. and this is what you're in, in straight terms, not just in a textbook, but, and this is your, this is your clitoris and this is what your clitoris does beyond sex. Like this is not even about sex because we can teach young girls that all their body parts, every single body part has a purpose beyond bullies and birth control and sex and all that stuff. I mean, the clitoris massages the uterus. It actually stimulates and and strengthens and, and releases all kinds of things when it is activated is the word I use in the course. Um, and <laughs> uh, so it's like, I want, like I have this girl who's 12 and I want her to know all the things. And so we only taught anatomy and in terms of our pelvis. And in terms of our ability to procreate. Like to just literally getting people comfortable with the language of their body and the anatomy and physiology, right. uh, the, te- the technical terms, and also just almost like making you body smart. Okay, I know right. where this is. I know what it's for. And, it, and as you said, you know, not necessarily to do with sex. They think that the only thing that people, that the girls need to know about is about sex and um and also just the and also the mechanics as well. What about the emotional stuff? Right. Well, yeah. hello. This because we know that for girls, you know, this just isn't mechanical. Right. It isn't mechanical. So we need to talk about emotions, and we need to talk mm-hmm. about um, you know being let down in love, and all these kind of things, and being you know, forced into relation. This conversation is like this regarding girls and their, and their pelvis. And it needs to be obviously like this. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be able to make the connections. They need to, I think they also, um, and, and this is something that you, I know you've seen too, with, with women into their thirties and forties and fifties and sixties, some of them for the first time looking, you know, men, everything's on the outside yeah. males, <laughs> uh, you know, they don't got to look very far for us. We, you know, we kind of got to get out a mirror. And, and it's important. That's not bad and naughty. That's to know because it, because what if, what if there's a growth? What if there's a rash? What if there's a mole? What if there's something down there that changes and you don't even know? And we could catch things so much earlier, but as moms, we can't like go to our daughters and say, all right, sweetie, legs up. Let's check things this month. Guess what time it is. <laughs> That's not going to work. So it's like, you know, I've been telling even my daughter, hey, have you checked things out down there? Mom. And I'm like, hey, you know what? You don't have to do it right now, but you need to think about it um, because you need to keep track of things so that if something changes, you can let me know and we can go talk to the doctor. Yes, yes, yeah. 
But yes, absolutely. I know that definitely in all my years of service, so I'd say... Wait, say um, that again. Wait, say that last part again. Serving postnatal women, so right. C-section or, or, you know, vaginal birth. So vaginal birth and with tears. Oh, did you? Oh, yeah, I had, yeah, I had some tears. Yeah. Oh, how are they? Did you look? <gasps> no. I'm like, what? What? <laughs> Sorry, hang on. So you had stitches and you didn't go down there. I would I just couldn't bear not to know. Right. Um, well and have you yeah. seen that too with women that have had hysterectomies and, and, and any type of scars? Like they don't even look at that. It's right there on their tummy and they don't want to look at it. They won't look at it and they won't touch it. So for me, it, and do you know what? I just had some really great news. So I, um, I'm giving up teaching some of my live courses. So this was my mm-hmm. dream for this year to give up teaching. Oh my gosh, I've taught them for 11 years. You know, it's yeah. okay. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I will have some of the younger people who are very keen for the opportunity to teach them. And then I go for one day a week to London and I actually have a proper clinic. What? I've been watching your videos with the belly massage and you're, oh, and that's a whole other thing is like getting women to let their tummies be touched. Yes. Pre-surgery, post-surgery, anytime. I like yeah. every woman should get a belly rub. And she should learn how to rub her own belly and rub those scars. Yes, absolutely. So for me, having this clinic, so sorry, once a month and, you know, full day in London once a month and this and dedicating it, dedicating it to hysterectomy recovery oh, primarily. That's um, so and I'll do some work, but hysterectomy recovery. And for me, this is huge. So we get them breathing properly again. A lot of that surgery is done in an elevated um, supine position. So you're on your back and your head is below your hips. And so that affects the diaphragm. So getting people breathing properly and without that breathe that breathing well, we just can't get the pelvic floor functionality and the whole of the core. So getting mm-hmm. the whole of the core speaking to each other, if they have scars, then working on those scars and then getting them up and returning to movement and, uh, a, a, you know, I call it a safe return to exercise. So, Mm, uh, when I've been teaching the holistic chorus or then maybe I've had women that have come um, after seven years post hysterectomy and they have not done exercise. Now, if you are now, if me, I'm to, I want to give people the rehab that I wish I had had. Mm. I want to give them that right. rehab that I wish I had. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You broke up there a little bit, but um, it sounded like you, you were starting to talk about the fitness that's appropriate for after the hysterectomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so the first step, the first step must be that education. If they didn't know mm-hmm. what happened to them, you know, have they got their notes or whatever, it, helping them to understand what's happened to them. Did they have that vaginal suspension, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and then the implications for their potential health organ prolapse as they go through the years and then helping them to learn how to lift and manage pressure within Mm -hmm. their core right from the get-go, from now till the very end of your life, from now to forever, from now till forever. 
Um, and that's huge because if they're not, if they, if they are breath holders, they go to lift something and they're holding their breath, that makes pressure within their core. If, yeah. That is, if, I still struggle with that. I still will randomly catch myself in, and then, well, hold on. I know better than that. Let's redo that. Hold on. Let's breathe. So many people, they're not aware of that building up pressure uh, against those organs, you know, against their pelvic organs. Now, with a major player missing, okay, we now have a higher potential for pelvic organ prolapse as we age. So managing pressure is a big thing. And then helping them to make that decision. I was, uh, I'm sure I said in the course about, um, you know, there was a time when I'd lift anything in the house. And yeah. we have a big dining table and it needed moving now i was like well i have to wait till ian comes to to move it so although i could move it should mm. i no no yeah. so you it, and it's and that's an empowering move that's actually an empowering move not a disempowering move thinking i can't move that anymore it's not about not moving that anymore it's just saying do you know what is that uh, is that appropriate that's a big blooming table I'll wait for my husband to come. I'll wait for somebody to come to help me move that. Right. Well, so it doesn't make you, know, you less of a woman. It doesn't make you less of a helpmate, quote unquote, either. Yes. It means that you're allowing your partner to bless you and you're knowing your limits and you're in touch with your limits. And yes. that just makes it a better partnership all the way around. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's going to help prevent the injuries that, you know, are going are gonna to make everything better long-term if you don't have those injuries. We're playing the long game, long game, and we are focused. We, will my question? Will my future self thank me for that decision? Will my future self thank me for that decision? That's right. a big one. So returning to exercise, get that foundation right. And so again, it's like a postnatal situation. You know, get that foundation right, and then we put, then we move forward. I think that people are then thinking, "Oh, I've had literally." You have a six week check, six week post op, and they think, "Right, I'll go back to doing what I was doing yeah, before." Camps, yes, right. we go back to the boot camps. Right. Back to the like that's not a good move. Again, a progressive load through the pelvis, the pelvic floor, with that uh, uh, that that. Um, the breathing and the management of abdominal pressure, that's massive as you're recovering from hysterectomy. None of this just running back straight into the exercise mm -hmm. that you did before. Mm -hmm. It has to be a progressive load so that the soft tissues can learn to bear and manage that load again. Yeah, you start with the little things and you work up. You know, my husband and I are getting ready to, to go climb a mountain with Chris and his wife. Um, and... Uh, you, you waited until a little bit of the last minute my husband did and you know hasn't done very much climbing and so you know we go and, and and we go to do this hike and he's like oh let's go five miles i'm like let's do two yeah. oh I, I i can do five let's do two you know yeah. let's do two miles of hills and let's go slow and then tomorrow night we'll do three miles and, and we'll go you know and we don't need to go fast because it's a hike mm -hmm. um and hey by the time we get there you will have a nice solid six or eight miles under your belt for this hike and and we'll take it from there and you'll feel good and it's, people forget oh I, I have this hike in three weeks and it's a 13 mile hike i'm going to go out and walk 13 miles today that yeah. doesn't work for training for a mountain and it doesn't work postnatally and it doesn't work post-surgically. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Progressive mode. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Jenny, it's been fantastic having you on. Um, it's, uh, 
it's always good to get somebody on uh, the podcast that really knows their stuff. They really, and they really care. And it really comes through when you talk. It's been fantastic. But we have to know what your favorite exercise is because we ask all of our guests this. Um, what is your favorite exercise right now? At the moment, it's boxing. I've gone, I've gone round again. So I used to box a lot when I was younger. And, um, and I hadn't done it for a while. And I've got a new trainer and he does boxing. And I just, yeah, I'm into the boxing. Yeah, that is so fantastic. I love it. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Uh, My my current favorite is I'm I'm walking a lot, lots of walking, because it's relay race walking season. So it's pretty intense. Chris, what's your favorite right now? Um, uh, probably probably running or maybe hiking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's it and it's funny that you know that it does change over time Mm -hmm. yeah it does change out of that change oh i fancy trying something else and that Mm -hmm. that that is that's about having a moving life isn't it a movement practice yeah yeah a moving life i need like boxing that sounds pretty interesting well jenny thank you so much um we're going to put all of the links to so that people can find resources from you your website Mm -hmm. your social media that'll be all in the show notes so if you're listening to this on podcast check the show notes um and uh, hopefully we can have you on again this has been absolutely fantastic thank you for the time today thank you thank you and i'm glad we made it (laughs) thank you so much thanks all right Lovely. Thank you. Yeah. Now, okay, friends and fans, if our podcast floats your goat, you should subscribe to Fit to Be Radio and also follow us on Twitter at Fit to Be, on Instagram at Fit to Be Studio, and on Facebook via Fit to Be Tummy Safe Fitness. That's my rooster. I'd also love for you to join FitToBe.com so you can work out with me. Plus, that's how we pay our bills that keep our lights on, providing family friendly workouts that help you make a strategic return to fitness. See you there.